0: Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Lisa Jo Baker.
1: And I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm really glad, Lisa Jo, that we checked the calendar before we recorded today's conversation because these are the stories I needed today. And this is the hope I absolutely need for this journey.
0: Yeah, thank you for trusting us, friends, as we step into the heavier conversations. Today, we recommend listening to this one when you have some time for reflection and maybe a mug of something warm and comforting. So
1: get comfy. Here we go. Lisa Joe, you just taught me a new word for our podcast listeners, or for our podcast. I think it is a really good one. You just told me that I needed to start this episode By offering a cozification. Correct. Is that what you said, cozification? (laughs) Am I using that in the proper grammatical form? And I just looked at you blankly, like, wait, what? What do I need to do? (laughs) Cozification. But cozification, what that means to your listeners is that I've got my cozy sweater on. We invite you to settle in and to get cozy. We remind you that you are safe in this conversational place, but that today... Because Lisa Joe, and I looked at the calendar, and I'm so glad we did, we looked at the calendar to see when this episode would air, we realized that even though we felt like we just wanted to have a fun, light conversation, we had some funny stories we wanted to tell, we realized given the day that there might be some harder, even darker realities that we needed to talk about, which frankly really matches the dark, gray clouds outside our windows right now. Um, So we just want to let you know here at the beginning That is what we're going to do. We don't think that, because we never have yet ended in a despairing, sad (laughs) place, so we don't think we're going to end there, but we are going to journey through some harder, potentially darker conversations. So, you know, if you've got little kids in the room or you're just, you're feeling harried or harassed, maybe just wait and get cozy, cozified at some point and cuddle up and get your warm drink and settle in and listen, but do it in a place where you feel like you can just walk with us. And um, even if we are going to journey a little bit, I'm thinking of like um, the valley of the shadow of death. Mm. Maybe that's that's the journey where we'll take a little bit in this conversation. Is that a good way to describe yeah, it, Joe? I
0: think so. I think the shadow has been heavy on us this last year and a half. And sometimes the shadow comes and blots out, blots out a light altogether. And um, those of you who've listened last year know we walked a long journey with both of my brothers through cancer diagnoses. And this past week, my father-in-law passed away, and. Um, I was talking to my brother, Joshua, and he just said to me, man, it just feels like there's death everywhere, at least Joe. His very best friend, his oldest friend that we've known literally since high school, who I was like at my wedding, at Joshua's wedding, and we've just known him forever. He has battled cancer the last five years, and we feel like he's likely entering into the last stages of that fight. And it just struck me because he said to me, I feel like there's death everywhere, but we are a society that doesn't talk about it. We act surprised every time it arrives. It's a surprise to us. Even when we expect it, it's surprising. And I guess that's a bit of the conversation that feels appropriate on Ash Wednesday, which is Mm -hmm. a day that I think Christy will guide us a little bit through, but a day that actually one of the rare days we have where we pause to acknowledge the reality of death and that in in scripture (laughs) the bible does not shy away from the story of death and and so neither should we and how do we have that conversation
1: Mm -hmm. yeah so that Ladies and gentlemen, that dear listeners, is the conversation that we felt like we should at least be brave enough to enter in because I think you're absolutely right, Lisa Joe. Um this is this is uh, it's like the elephant in the room always our whole lives and how foolish if we are always trying to pretend like it isn't there or like we don't think about it or or surprised, you know, when when we Encounter and again, I I remember it so recently. um, There's some funny cartoon movie that came out recently. I think it was called Puss in Boots. I'm not recommending it. I'm just telling a story. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I had to go see it with my youngest because the other siblings were seeing another movie that you know she was not appropriate for her to see. So I ended up in this cartoon show about a cat. Um, And there's a character in there who I knew right away was the angel of death. And actually, there was you know, if you're at all curious, like. Once you got past the sort of frenetic cartoon energy, you know, there was a story there that actually was somewhat meaningful. Um, Anyway, so this character is, I I feel like now I should say, sorry, spoiler alert. But anyhow, this character is the Angel of Death, and I recognize him right away. But I was talking to my oldest child, who is really an adult, um, and she had seen the movie too, and she also she liked it. And she was like, "Mom, weren't you shocked? Weren't you surprised at the big reveal when we realized that he's not just a bounty hunter, but he's like death." And I said, no. Was I supposed to be surprised? <laughs> oh, <laughs> English professors
0: all over the world ruining yeah. story reveals for their children.
1: <laughs> I was like, That's I, me when I watch movies with my kids yeah. all the time. They're like, stop yeah, like, spoiling like, it. Like, yes. I was like, no, I recognize it right away. I mean, he was wearing that hood. Uh, like, yeah, there were lots of, you know, clues. Um, anyway, we had a laugh about it because, yeah, I realized like, no, this is a pretty familiar trope in stories and films and I'm older, and I'm, you know, I've learned to look out for it. But I thought, oh, how interesting that even though she's not a young child, um, she was surprised. And, you know, she went right along with the whole cartoon, um, you know, sneaky reveal that, you know, apparently I was not supposed to understand until later in the film, but oh, well. (laughs) But yes, I think um, culturally, we might in so many ways, be staring at the angel of death or or in the presence of death and just doing our darndest to not see and not understand. But then comes Ash Wednesday, which, you know, if that if you're if you don't know what I'm even talking about, you know, not every Christian around the world has this day called Ash Wednesday, but for many Christians in the West. Catholics, uh, you know, Anglicans. I I worship in the Anglican tradition. So, for many Western Christians, Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday that marks the beginning of Lent. It marks the beginning of this season of fasting and preparation for Easter. So, it's the beginning in a way of our journey to Easter, which is exciting. It comes here on the edge, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, of winter into spring. I actually think as well that the, the name, Lent. I think it even has something to do with the idea of the days lengthening. So, you know, here as the days lengthen and we come out of winter, we are purposefully embracing less. We might be fasting or giving something up. And all of that begins on Ash Wednesday when we gather as a church and we receive the a mark on our bodies, on our physical selves, a mark that means death that we will die a reminder um, these these ashes that a priest or a, a minister um, rubs on our foreheads with a prayer and it reminds us that we are you know dust to dust that we will return to the earth from which you know God created us and so it's a heavy thing it's a heavy way to begin and I always remember um, one of the first Ash Wednesdays, with my youngest child. I, I Probably we had, we'd brought her before, but maybe not, or maybe she was just too young. But I remember this first Ash Wednesday, we went to a Ash Wednesday, like a family service at my church where they have like a pizza dinner and they share some things and then, you know, you get your ashes. So, when she, she was maybe four or five, maybe four, little sweet little Elsa, and when she realized what was happening, she told me in no uncertain terms, No, (laughs) I do not want that. (laughs) No, (laughs) that smudgy thing that 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 touching forehead and that leaving that dirty smudge. No, I don't want it. And so I said, okay, that's fine. Um, But because of how we were sitting, we were around tables. We didn't eat pizza. It was sort of casual, and we went up sort of awkwardly from the side. And I didn't quite catch our priest's eye, and like almost before I knew it, he had smudged her forehead with ashes. So I felt bad because you know she was like, no, I hadn't wanted it, but. But then what surprised me was just the sight of it, like her beautiful little tiny girl face, her pretty little forehead, and then this like black mark, which is given in the mark of a cross. But, you know, if you're a wiggly four-year-old girl, you just get more of a smudge (laughs) because you're moving. (laughs) So she just had this smudge of black, like ugliness on her beautiful little forehead, and I was really taken aback. Someone who'd been observing Ash Wednesday for years, who'd had that smudge on my forehead many times, um, I was surprised at just, like, how much it it bothered me, like, how much I wanted to, like, wipe it off, <laughs> just wipe it off. Like, no, not her. Me, sure. Yes. Other people, sure, but not her. Not my child, not someone so young, um, not someone with so much life in them, to see them marked that way with death was really intense. So I've often returned to that thought and and maybe even tried to put myself in her little shoes, you know, to say, no, that really is me too. Um, it's hard to to accept our mortality. It's hard to think about it. It's hard to wear it like a dirty smudge on our foreheads. But that's the invitation of Ash Wednesday. So, with deep breath, you know we we decided Lisa Joe, you and I like we' we'll, we'll enter into that we 'll talk about that we 'll have a conversation and we 'll see where it leads us. But I know to begin, mostly what I feel is just like that child no don 't want to go there, just want <laughs> things to be happy, no smudges on our foreheads
0: <laughs> i mean, and really, in the West and particularly in North America. All of the programming we are surrounded by, all of the messaging is about how you must avoid death at all costs. You must extend and prolong your life. You must dye your hair and get I mean, this is a whole new thing. It's strange to me to listen to how much Botox has become normalized. Like, it's just yeah, odd to me. Like, I've that everyone's too. <laughs> getting Botox in their faces now. Like, that's the new normal. How we must continue to diet. You know, when you're over 50, how to lose your belly fast. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. We must prolong our lives. We must have anti aging wrinkle cream. We must just, I feel like the incessant messaging is life at all costs. Like, you must prolong. Every inch of it. You must not age. You must not acknowledge that you are aging. Aging is bad because aging equals dying. And yet here we are surrounded by death everywhere. And I feel like as a person who comes from a country with many languages— it feels like America particularly does not have a language for talking about death in, I would describe like healthy ways, that in, instead it's a negation. It's almost like we want to erase this word from our vocabulary. But when you come from other cultures, particularly I think about the one I'm familiar with in Africa um, and where I'm from in South Africa, Death is part of a narrative in many ways, like in many ritualized ways and customs and traditions and families. Like death is much more present as a character in the story because there are many stories where we don't pretend that death isn't a real character. Like death actually takes the form of a character. So in America, I feel like all you have is the Grim Reaper, but in a lot of stories I grew up around, death would take the shape of different animals or lies or the darkness of night or like, Death was a a very consistent character that showed up, and it's a culture that recognizes death in, I feel like, a more honest way than we experience here in the West. And I just wonder if part of why we're not equipped to have conversations about death is that we live in a culture where essentially we've tried to erase that word,
1: completely
0: Mm -hmm. from our Mm -hmm. vocabularies in ways that are unhealthy. And what's been interesting for me, especially the last nearly two years now of my brother's uh, struggle with cancer, which was happening simultaneous to my father-in-law, simultaneous to our best friend, is that often you hear about how we want to protect children. We don't want them to hear about death, that it's scary. And yet I have found kids are much more honest than adults much more upfront when it comes to these questions of death and much more engaged in this conversation. They have a kind of innocence that protects them maybe to be able to just ask questions without knowing these are taboo or you shouldn't be allowed to talk about this. And our kids have talked a lot about death the last year and a half, a lot about it, a lot about cancer, a lot about your body and what happens, many, many conversations. And, And in so doing, it's been like reclaiming into our language as a family, this conversation about death and about what does a good death look like? Like, because I think that is something we don't talk about a lot. Like, what does it mean to walk with those who are dying? What does it mean to walk them all the way home? Like, how do we do that? How do we embrace that? How do we as believers take seriously this idea that death has lost its sting, like it still comes, but the sting has been removed. What is that conversation like for our kids? And I think that's that's been a lot of what we've been walking through this last year. And I've been surprised to discover children are just as capable and they are able to sometimes offer you perspectives that you haven't considered yourself and that your faith somehow has sanitized in a way that, I don't know, kids are able to just kind of dig in.
1: Mm-hmm, hmm yeah, yeah, that is a gift. And we know Jesus invites us to be more like the kids, so yeah. <laughs> are we paying attention? Maybe one thing that makes these conversations hard to, hard to have and hard to live out, um, I know I think in our culture, but just personally, I think most of us like things that we can understand. We like things that we can kind of organize, like put in certain categories. Like I know what this means and I organize it here. And But the thing about death is that it is contradictory and complicated because on the one hand, it is our enemy and it is the ultimate enemy of us of good creation of God it is the enemy and yet because God is who God is and is so powerful it is an enemy that God can can use the seed dies and we get food and life right you know um and so we see that too we 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 speak of death in metaphor sometimes because i think we're recognizing that death is Yes, maybe this final physical thing, but there are other kinds of deaths. There's more spiritual deaths. There are maybe, just as we grow as humans, there are dreams we let die or or we see die. Maybe we don't let them die. We see them die and we are left, you know, in the the aftermath of a dead dream or hope or longing or, um, you know, of, uh, identity that we had, a life we lived and we see it die, like, Death operates in all these levels and it's so complicated that I think, understandably, you know, it's just hard to, to journey into those waters. One thing I was reminded of recently, I don't know what, you know, you would think of this, Lisa Joe, or if it would comfort you as much. I don't know, just in that moment, it really comforted me. Our, um, Uh, because I go to a church in the Anglican tradition, um, one thing we do that other churches do as well is that our service begins with a procession, and at the head of the procession, someone is holding aloft the cross, Jesus on the cross. That's how our services begin. And um, our priest reminded us recently something I I knew, but I'd forgotten. You know, I don't know. You just need to remember these things. Like, I've just gotten used to seeing that cross, you know, and we do, right? We get used to seeing Jesus on the cross. We get used to thinking about it, seeing it. We get used to that. But He reminded us that the reason we do that, the reason we carry it up high like that, is it is our battle standard. Like an army going to battle holds up the sign of its king, its kingdom, its power, its, you know, why, why should the enemy tremble? Because look at us holding up this sign of, you know, Caesar or whoever, <laughs> Alexander the Great, but we hold up Christ on the cross. We hold up His death, the death of God, um, the death of the One who, who gives life to everything. That's what we hold up as our as we march into battle. Essentially, this like banner of our of 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 um, victory, really. And it was so good to remember that and remember. Uh, oh yeah death is our enemy. But when we enter into the the kind of the arena of war against this enemy, we already carry this banner of victory. Um, Death has been defeated by death. Anyway, it was just good for me recently to have like that visual. It felt very powerful. Like, oh, yeah, that is powerful. Um, not only to sort of put death in its place, like it is the enemy, but also it doesn't have the victory. Um, and the victory looks like Jesus on the cross. I don't know. I, I think going into this Lenten season and, and gathering with the church and, and seeing that cross in procession, um, I hope it, yeah, just imprints on my heart more and more like, oh, right, I don't need to be afraid this this enemy has already been defeated. And, and then what does it look, to look like to live into that good story and that victory?
0: Um, and I think you know us well enough, listeners, to know, like, you're not, if you're hoping for, like, the three-step plan to, like, handle <laughs> conversations about death or feel better, like, sadly, you will not get that from us. You will get lots of stories and quotes and ideas for thinking about death. But we don't have a one size fits all, um, template to add to this. What we do have are our lived experiences and the experiences that Christ gives us. And I love that, Christy, this reminder that his banner is the fact that he died and then rose. Like he lived. He defeated death. That is the hope that we have, not what the world will sometimes preach is how death is just part of the cycle of life. I reject that utterly. Like, I've always felt very resistant to that ever since I was 18 and my mom died, and people told me, but this is just part of life. It isn't. It was very clear in the garden, death was never intended to be part of life, and the fact that Christ came to die to defeat death once and for all is the reminder that death is not a natural part of life. It is why we are so resistant to it. Why do you think we weep? Why do you think we dread it? Why do you think we have so much pain? because we are eternal creatures created for life, not for death. All right, stepping off my soapbox. um, (laughs) I'm so grateful that Christ's banner is His victory over death. And uh, recently I was back in Utah uh, with some friends and they took me i remember the first time i was there i had my friend emily said lisa joe you're gonna have to come with us to see this statue garden it's called the light of the world statues it's in a garden at thanksgiving point uh in in utah and i was i was like what like statues like i'm not really a museum person it's not really my jam i don't know that i want to see it it's in this town of Leahy, utah but I like Emily and it was a beautiful day. And I said, sure, let's check out these statues. But what you need to know is it's more than life-size bronze statues depicting certain key scenes from the Gospels. It's astonishing. Like, And when you walk into the garden, for example, there is a sea cast out of bronze that when you are standing, the water is above your head. It's like above eye level and there's Jesus walking on the water but the artist is so gifted that there's motion in his clothing it looks like it's being blown by the wind and the waves are crashing and he's walking towards you and as you walk into the garden and see that you're so like taken aback by the reality that these aren't just stories they happened well one of the scenes that's depicted is the scene of Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb I don't know about you, Chrissy, but when I imagine that story, I'm always standing like with Mary and Martha outside the tomb because that's the perspective the story is told from. And you are imagining Jesus and he weeps and he calls Lazarus out. Well, what was so astonishing to experience about this the scene now cast in bronze by this very gifted artist is that it's a 360 degree you can walk around it so on the one side you are with Jesus and Mary and Martha looking into the tomb but you can walk onto the other side where Lazarus is reclining in this tomb all wrapped up and he's starting to sit up and you can sit down on the bench next to him and look through the opening of the cave and see Jesus <gasps> calling to him I like Whoa. Whoa body chills as i tell the story and it was the first time i had imagined lazarus's perspective on that story because he doesn't speak in that story we don't hear from him but when i sat next to him and like it's so well done it's crafted so that the bench when you sit there you are at the eye line then of jesus who's up a little bit calling you out in that moment you are you are in an embodied story That is a picture of the ultimate story. Like, this is what Jesus does. He calls us from death to life. That's what he's doing. And I think in that moment, the story moved from my head into my body, like not just into my heart, but into my actual being, that that is who Jesus is, that he is calling us out, like out of death. And death is not the end. It's more like that, like a doorway that we step through. Like Lazarus had to come out of that grave to Christ. And he is doing that for all of us. He's calling us. And I think you can hold both truths. You can hold that reality that Christ has defeated death and he's calling you to him, to life. And in the other hand, you can hold all of the sadness and all of the sorrow and all of the fear and the questions and the unknown that come with stepping through that. Whether it's you yourself or someone you love, both of those things can exist at the same time. I think as evidenced by the fact that Christ himself cried. Mm-hmm. He was so, in the moment before he called him to life, he wept. I think that's why I just… No matter how long I live or how many doubts I might have in my faith, I just cannot get over a God who understands both sides of that story.
1: Mm. Well, Lisa Jo, we could end the conversation there. (laughs) That is amazing. So I want to look that up after— Yeah, we'll link that in the show notes. After the conversation, yeah. Yeah, After we record, I'm going to look that up. But I'm already just—because you describe it so well, I'm picturing that— and that is powerful. It's so, so powerful. And I'm remembering, I feel like I even read that scripture recently. And that's where Jesus says, I, like, he's like, do you, well, he asked Martha about the resurrection and, or I don't know, Martha or Mary, somebody says, yes, I believe. I believe, you know, one day we will rise again. I believe in the resurrection. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Mm, yeah. I am. <laughs> like that. I don't know. That just really struck me recently. Like, it's one thing to sit here and hope of some future happiness. It's another to say, like, his hand is right here, right now, on the other end of whatever dark tunnel, you know, we're in. That is, that's just amazing. It blows my mind. And I don't, I think this is why we need pictures, stories, art, because, I mean, you and I are writers. We believe words can do a lot, but there are just things where you come to the edge of language and you, there aren't words to adequately, fully explain or account for. And I, I feel like this is one of those where I don't really have the words, but man, that picture of being in that cave with Lazarus oh, and the resurrection looks at you in there and reaches out His hand. That is very what is that that is intense, that is exciting, and yet here we are, I was thinking as well, Lisa Joe, like you know we 've had these personal personal stories, these friends with cancer and Ugh, just all the awfulness that just touches each of our lives. But man, you know, on a global scale, the the sheer numbers of souls that have died in Turkey and Syria with the earthquake, like, it boggles the mind. Like, we cannot comprehend. Um, You know, we just, yeah, we can't comprehend and we don't have the words. But it helps a lot to look at Jesus and to hear Him say, I am am the resurrection and I'm here I'm here um I was thinking also I, I I often talk and we do in Christianese we talk about the second coming you know Jesus came and he will come again like that is language I use all the time second coming come lord Jesus um but I was reminded recently that in scripture we hear the phrase glorious appearing because Jesus is here like he never left yes he will he will return in fullness as our King, but it's not like He's gone. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. That's not what Scripture teaches. It's not what the Church has taught. We don't believe that. And so, the language I feel like I want to use more consistently now is not second coming. He's coming back. He'll return. It's He will appear. Oh, because that's Because the truth so is, we don't see Him the way Lazarus did, yes. you know, and that's hard. yes. But he is here, the resurrection and the life is here, present, active, with us, reaching out that hand, but at the same time, man, I look forward to the appearance of that face and that hand and that voice um but I don't know that yeah, that's just a distinction I've been holding on to that helps me remember like he's not just out there off somewhere. He, he is still here. He never left. He said he wouldn't leave, and he hasn't left. I think I really needed that reminder today that when we walk through the valley of the
0: shadow of death, we don't walk alone, that he mm-hmm. walks with us, and he's been there before. I think, wow, I'm weirdly just connecting those dots for the first time. Like, we walk that valley, and he says, I know it. Like, I've walked here And it's safe, and you can come with me. I went ahead of you, and there's no bad guys waiting for you. Like, you're okay. Like, you're going to make it. It's okay. Like, no matter what is in this valley, you don't have to be afraid because I have walked through this valley first, and I've made sure that you're going to come through it. Mm -hmm. That is hope. And I think this week, when I have those ashes on my forehead... That's what I'm going to be thinking about this time, not just about my own mortality, but about the fact that Christ walks the valley with us and that he has walked all the way and he's turned the lights on and there's not a shadow anymore. And (laughs) he is the light and it's bright and there are floodlights now. And he is like holding your hand as you walk and hugging you and wrapping you with a blanket. And he is there. (laughs) Like in every possible way. Yeah. In the valley with us. And gosh, I always wonder where these conversations will end. And I needed that so much this week. And I will be holding on to that for a long time to come, my friend.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. Oh, I love that image of like he's gone all the way and turned on the lights. <laughs> and to remember as well that we're at the we're at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Ash Wednesday, begins with ashes, but that's just day one, really, that's just day one. So start there. It's a good place to start. It's a necessary place to start rather than, you know, what we talked about earlier, the hiding and the forgetting and the ignoring and the compensating. We start there with the ashes and we acknowledge, um, but that's just day one and it's a journey and we know where we end up in this life and in these days, we land on Easter in the whole Easter Resurrection season, but that is true in every sense. That is actually where we're headed, um, and that's such good news. So yeah, it's funny. We I, I told you before. <laughs> I'll share this with our listeners. Before we started, we just felt like, wow, okay, so here we go, heavy and hard. And I and I said, but you know, Lisa, Joe, even though I don't know, I don't know where we will end up or how we will, where this conversation will take us. I do find that when we sit down to talk and share and just be honest as friends, somehow the Holy Spirit spark that sparks in where two are gathered and within relationships and friendships always does lead us to a hopeful, encouraging place. And uh, that has happened again. I'm grateful. Grateful
0: for you too, friend.